come before you and we thank you for this chance to join you at your table. It's a space that you've made available to us where you, you promised when we gather that, that you are in our midst. And this time of remembrance is uh, what's a chance for us to unburden ourselves, to lay down our sins, and we thank you for that unburdening. It's a chance for you to redirect us and refocus us and point us back on the path we need to be on. We thank you for that redirection. And most of all, it's a time for us to just commune with our Creator, the one who loves us more than anyone else. And a chance for us to tell you how much we love you. And we do love you, Lord. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't want to seem impertinent or rude by asking this question, but I have a question that has, been, has struck me from our text this week, and this is it. It's a question that comes up, and the question simply is, what kind of a sinner are you? Now, I know that sounds a little off-putting. Again, I, I'm not trying to make an enemy today, but it's a question that's raised in the text we're going to look at uh, in Luke chapter 7, a story about a woman who had a a questionable past. She was called a sinful woman. And a Pharisee says, well, if Jesus knew what kind of person this was, basically he says, if he knew what kind of a sinner this was, he wouldn't associate with her. So it got me asking this question, what kind of a sinner are we? And in doing that, it gave me a chance to go back and look at a, a tool, a book I was given uh, by one of our former elders. He's now deceased, but Howard Montgomery, he was an elder here for 56 years. In the church. And uh, when I first started in ministry uh, 25 years ago here at OCC, uh, Howard knew that this young preacher would need some good resources if he wanted to preach good sermons. And so he gave me a number of books and tools that were very helpful in the early days of my ministry. One of those books was a book by Dr. Donald Nash, a professor from Kentucky Christian College down in Grayson, Kentucky. It was a book of Greek word studies. Now, before your eyes glaze over and you think, oh no, not Greek word studies, uh, there was part of that that was pretty helpful. It was a, uh, a word study on sin, on the word that we translate as sin. And what I was surprised to find is that there are no fewer than eight Greek words that get translated as sin. And in the story we're going to look at today, this, this Greek word for sin... Uh, which is called hamartia, it becomes very important to the story. It helps us to understand a little bit about what kind of sinner this so-called sinful woman was. So as we think about her story today, we'll also think about our own. But if you have your Bibles, let's start with her story. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. This is a story familiar to most of you. I think you've heard this story before. Then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him, and Jesus entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. Before we go any further in the story, let's just take note for a moment. Oftentimes, the conversations between the Pharisees and Jesus were contentious. Uh, they were, they were uh, difficult and challenging, and, and increasingly so as Jesus' ministry went along. And he had many enemies among the Pharisees. But not every Pharisee was an enemy of Jesus. In fact, we know Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus, as did many others. In this story, we have a Pharisee who I think has genuine inquiry 
about what Jesus' mission is and what Jesus is trying to accomplish. And so this Pharisee, this respected religious leader in the community, has invited Jesus into his home, and Jesus has accepted the invitation. Now, to understand some things that happen in the story, it's important for us to remember that in the first century, dinner tables weren't something that you sat down in chairs at. They were something that you, you were on the floor and you kind of reclined down the floor on pillows and things around a table that was about 12 inches high. And that's how you kind of laid around and you ate together and, and broke bread for your meal. So they were seated in that way, reclined on the ground. It's important to understand the story. As that happens, verse 37 says, a sinful woman, which what a horrible thing just to have a tagged on you, right? That's the tag this woman wears, the sinful woman. Well, a woman from that town learned that Jesus was dining there, and she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him, that is, he's reclined the floor, and she's standing behind him over his feet. And as she stood behind him, she began to weep. And as the tears ran down her face, they splashed onto his feet. And she began to wet his feet with her tears, it says. And then she knelt down and she wiped his feet with her hair. Then she began to kiss his feet. She began to anoint them with perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, well, if this man, Jesus, was a prophet, he would know who this is. He would know what kind of a woman is touching him, for she is a sinner. The word that he uses for sin, this word hamartia, has an interesting meaning. You've probably heard sin described as missing the mark, and that comes from this word in part. But there's a broader meaning to the sin of hamartia, it's the idea of failing to grasp hold of that which is important. In a real sense, we could say that this is a woman who has failed to grasp God's will and God's true goal for her life. She's failed to grasp all that God has for her. This is a different way of looking at sins, right? In our, in our lexicon or in our word list about sin, we usually think about things like gluttony or lust or, or murder or theft or whatever sin, disobeying your parents, whatever one from the top 10 you want to look at. But the Bible actually gives us a different way of looking at sin. And one of the words that comes up here, hamartia, is this idea that we, we just fail to see what's most important to God. We, we just fail it. We don't grasp hold of it. And that's the word that he uses to describe this woman as a sinner, this woman has failed to grasp anything about God. Now, I want you to get the irony that that's what's happening in the story, because what's this woman doing? This woman whose sinful life has been failing to grasp things right now is grasping hold of the feet of Jesus. And this Pharisee, whose whole life has been studying God, has yet to understand who Jesus is or what he's about. Who's really failed to grasp something in this story? Now, Jesus knows the heart and the thought of a person. He knows my thoughts and my heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. And he hears and he knows and he understands what Simon is thinking on the inside. 
So he knows what, what Simon is thinking. Because he is a prophet, by the way. He's also a priest and a king. So Jesus answered him a question that Simon had not spoken out loud. And he said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men were debtors to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay him, he forgave both of them. Now, Simon, which one will love him more? It's the question he puts to the Pharisee, and Simon thinks about it, and he says, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. You judge correctly, Jesus said. Now, something happens is important. So far, you have to picture Jesus on one side of a table, and Simon's kind of maybe on the other side. Or maybe he's at the end in a host spot. The woman's been behind him the whole time. But now Jesus turns his head so that he's looking not at Simon, but at the woman. He turned toward the woman, but he spoke to Simon. Simon, he said, do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you did not give me water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You did not greet me with a kiss, but he has not stopped, she has not stopped kissing my feet since I arrived. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore I tell you, because her many sins have been forgiven, she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins, your hamartia, your missing the mark, your failure to grasp is forgiven. Go in peace. What a story. What an interesting way of looking at what Jesus is about and how we look at things. Uh, we look at things and we look at sin and we pile them up against a person like, like a debt. But in this story, Jesus is the one who forgives the debt. And this was a woman who finally, after a lifetime of failing to grasp what mattered most, she grasped hold of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. Paul, who was also a former Pharisee, had a lot to say about people like the man in the story. He wrote this in Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. He said, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law, if you boast in God, if you know his will, you approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, well, you then, who teach others, do you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say people should not, commit, should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast of the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
Paul had some harsh statements for his peers. He had been with them, and he was acknowledging it's easy to look at the sins of others, but it's not so easy to look at our own sins. In fact, Paul would go on a little bit when he talks about this phrase, and he says God's name is blasphemed and breaking the law. He keeps using a Greek word, parabasis. It's a sin that means running beyond the border or the boundary, going out of bounds. Years ago, I heard a story about a dog trainer. I don't know for sure if the story is true or not, so take it with a grain of salt. But the story was that this man who uh, frequently trained dogs, was very good at training dogs, had a dog he particularly liked. But the dog had one flaw. It was as long as the dog was inside the confines of the fenced area for training, the dog would just act perfectly. But when you would take this dog out into the wild to do some out field work with the dog, anytime the dog would catch hold of a scent of a rabbit or a squirrel or something else, this dog would just bolt and take off. It was very hard to get this dog to come back. And this man was a professional trainer. He worked with the dog. He tried all kinds of things with dogs, and he thought he actually had the dog kind of broken of things, and he had taken him on a trip to the west, thinking the dog was in the right frame of mind to go with him on a little hunting trip. But true to that dog's nature, the minute that the door opened and he caught the scent of a, probably a jackrabbit or a squirrel, he took off running. And this trainer was unable to get the dog to come back. He called, he did all the things he's supposed to do, but the dog wouldn't come out. The dog had run, taken off, because there was no boundary. <laughs> and sadly, even though he came back the next day and another day after that, the dog never returned. Probably had met its end somewhere in the mountains of Colorado. Well, Jesus talks about this idea that there are those people that have a hard time stepping out and freedom, and they take their freedom, they kind of run with it in the wrong direction. And he points at that to talk about some leaders here who have somehow thought they were above the boundaries and the laws, right? A person who says, you shouldn't do this, but then they don't, they don't follow the boundary they set for you. <laughs> they break it themselves. It's that idea about parabasis, the person who just can't stay within the boundaries. They can't stay within the lines. They can't, they can't stay within that which is right. It's basically a sin of knowing what God wants but refusing to do it. Paul goes on and he says this as he's explaining a little bit more about how God deals with us and how we interact with each other and what sin does to us. It's the third word I want us to look at very quickly, and I promise not to look at very many more Greek words after that. The third one is this. It's written by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He's speaking and he says that this idea that we have to deal with sin is important. And Paul has been dealing with the sins of the Corinthian church, just like he's been responding to these leaders, his peers. He's now responding to these people in Corinth. And he says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who seemed timid when we were face to face, but he, this is implied, he's accused of being bold toward them when he's away in his writing. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of the world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war like the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, 
They have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish arguments and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience, where that's the kind of sinfulness uh, that's in us when we get together. This last one is an interesting word. It's a word, Greek word, that we saw as disobedience. It's the word perikeo, or perikoe, excuse me. And perikoe is a word that means to fail to grasp. Now, now this was one that, that it's not just to fail to grasp, but it's to fail to hear, excuse me, and fail to fully embrace, uh, hearing things amiss, a, a failure to pay attention. And that one really strikes me as someone who's battled attention deficit disorder in much of my life. I, 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 I know what it is to not pay close attention. I, that, I get in trouble for that from time to time. Well, here he says there are people who they've, they've just failed to pay any attention to what God wants. A failure to listen intently. It's, it's kind of like that sin that happened in the Old Testament, right? After the time of Noah had been around in the flood, uh, there's a sad indictment, right? At the flood, Noah and his sons all knew who God was. They had seen what God was capable of. They had seen his rainbow in the sky. Uh, they had experienced a, a new earth, and they had knew the horrible judgment that had been poured out on the earth. They knew God. But in short order, in just a few generations from Noah, the Bible tells us that there were many who failed to retain, and they did not find it profitable to retain a knowledge of God didn't matter to them anymore. And they knew who God was. They'd heard about God, but they didn't pay any attention to it. They didn't, they didn't hold on to it. They didn't grasp it. And they let it fall away. And so that's kind of this other idea of, of failing to hear. Now, what was it that, they, that caused them to do that? They didn't think God was profitable, but a lot of other knowledge they had and they were learning, they thought was profitable. Technology advancements, music, arts, all kinds of things that were coming into humanity seemed more important than God. And those things are good in and of themselves. They're not bad things. I'm not a fundamentalist who's anti all advances, but understand that what happened in the time of Noah was people were saying, well, God's okay, but he's not the most important thing. And there's other stuff that's more important to teach our kids than about God. And very quickly, the world came into another bad space. Very quickly. Well, we have to be careful. Because the same problem can happen today. Paracoy is not just failing to listen, but it's also about listening to the wrong things. I want you to understand something that probably like no generation in the history of humanity have there been more voices coming into your mind on a daily basis than there are now. And you really have to be discerning to make sure that you continue to listen for the, the word of God, hearing this unending chorus and cacophony of, of things coming against us through every feed, right? You realize that people from China, Korea, Russia, South America, North America, all over the globe are posting those posts on TikTok that you flip through on your phone. They're sending messages from all over the world, some godly for sure and some very ungodly. And we can get so distracted listening and watching all those other things that we fail to listen, we fail to perceive, and we, we fail to follow the voice of God.
Well, those are just three. Three kinds of sins. A failure to stay in in bounds, a failure to grasp or to miss the mark, and a failure to listen to what God is saying. So how about you? What kind of a sinner are you? I don't know what kind of sinner you are. But I do know this. Today you don't have to leave here saying, well, my sin is hamartia or parakoe. I'll probably never hear or use those words ever again. But here's the word you need to be able to say. I'm a forgiven sinner. I'm a forgiven sinner. And like the woman who came to Jesus, despite all the mistakes in her life, In that moment with Jesus, she got everything right. And when we come to him and we give our life to him and we say, I want you, Jesus, don't you think he can speak the same words to us he spoke to her? Your sins are forgiven. We know that in the book of Acts chapter 2, that was the question the people had. You know, the ones that had said crucify him in the streets, the ones who had yelled, made fun of him when he was on the cross. We know that 50 days after that, the disciples start preaching and the people have a lot of guilt about what they've done. And his message to them, the people said, what are we supposed to do to get right with God? And Peter said, well, repent. Be baptized. Let him change your hearts. And he promised them in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that God would not only forgive them, but that he would fill them with his Holy Spirit. They would redirect their life. And this morning, if that's what you desire, I encourage you to make that decision as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation. <laughs>